0: Stop here. Yeah. Yeah. It is Friday, March 11th here in draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schupp, and I think we might just be making these Friday best ball shows a regular thing. Last week, at this time, I sat down with Josh Larkey. Today, I've got a guest who is probably in a slow draft with you right now. He is a contributor of Football Guys. He is creator of BestBallRankings.com, and he is Eagles in a best ball draft lobby near you in real life. He's James Brimacombe. James, thanks very much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. It's nice to get on a few of these shows. It's nice to have uh, actually Bestwell, uh be promoted more. Uh, I just see keep seeing more and more podcasts and more content, which is amazing. So I love seeing that.
0: It's really nice to have more drafting to do year round. I I wish I had jumped into it with more force, you know, before I did, but it's nice to be jumping in fully. Now I have to confess something though, before we really dig in, The real reason I'm having you on is because a bunch of us have conspired to pull you out of live drafts during the day. We're going to have you on these shows to distract you so that you can't draft against us in those live draft rooms all the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I could definitely use a break here and there (laughs) sometimes. Usually my breaks are are actually on the weekend. So if you hit me on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're probably not going to see me in the lobbies much. So usually like a Monday to Thursday, sometimes Friday drafter. So.
0: All right, so Saturday morning when I'm up and the wife's not yet, that's when I need to hit those those drivers, yeah. especially because you're out west. <laughs> yeah,
1: you won't you won't see me. Yeah, you're from Rochester. That's cool. I actually grew up in Ontario, Canada, so right across the lake. So
0: nice. So how, what's the Eagles connection for you? How'd you become an Eagles fan?
1: Grew up huge hockey fan. Every my whole life was hockey as a kid. Yeah, I even played fantasy hockey when I was like 13 years old. You know, with my buddies and. Um, just love, love that aspect of it. Um, I have an older brother's eight years older. He's the huge, we watched hockey together, but then he started watching football, uh, NFL and I just hang out kind of his house and he'd always have the games on Sunday. We'd just spend watching, uh, I'd watch the Steelers. That was his favorite team. And then I just came across, uh, Randall Cunningham, watched him. And this is like, yeah, I don't want to be the Steelers fan like you. So I went my own path. And from there, I've always kind of stuck with the Eagles.
0: That was the same era that pulled me into the Eagles. I didn't live in Philadelphia yet. I became a fan in that Randall Cunningham um, era, Reggie White, you know, Seth Joyner, all those guys. And then a few years later, we moved to the Philadelphia area. So that just kind of solidified it. And and shortly after we moved there began the Andy Reid portion of things. So I mean, from that point, it was pretty easy to stick around.
1: Yeah, no, there's been definitely some good years. Um, got the Super Bowl in there, which was awesome too. So, and went to another Super Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's tough being an Eagles fan, but uh, other times it's it's been all right the last few years and a little bit of hope this year, maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would say most teams have, most teams' fans have tough times built <laughs> into just following a team. You know, jokes aside about pulling you out of draft rooms, the real <laughs> reason I wanted to bring you on is not only are you a constant presence in these best ball drafts underdog drafters you're honestly one of the more positive presences that that pops up on my twitter timeline just like so your twitter bio picture you know looks like tom york trying to keep the world out but then the personality of your twitter feed is more like guys come play in the sandbox let's all see what we can build here
1: yeah yeah somewhat yeah just Huge Radiohead fan, so I've kind of just kept that avatar for a while, and I just kind of I don't know, just kind of goes with, I guess I could put a picture of my face on there, but no one wants to see that.
0: <laughs> I don't know, you could do the one with the underdog ring that I used in the... the oh yeah, that was- uh,
1: yeah, that's, yeah. I, I don't usually get too braggy or anything, <laughs> so I always feel bad about those kind of pictures.
0: <laughs> I can understand that. So I, I read, though, that you have been playing fantasy for more than 20 years, so, you know, in my same kind of age range there. Um, Tell me about how you first got into best ball and what the early experience was of being in those best ball drafts.
1: I've worked for football guys maybe eight, eight, nine years something now, something like that now. So uh, yeah, they always have internal chats, you know, just like draft sharks. I'm sure you have the same thing. Um, And just a couple of guys are like, "Hey, I'm playing these best ball tens, or I think that's what they were called at the time. MFL tens I mean,
0: at that point, I think. Yeah,
1: MFL tens. So that's it. That's right. So. And I was like, all right, I'll check it out, you know. And so I entered maybe like 10, 10 of those drafts that year. I was like, ah, oh, this is kind of fun, you know. Like, I don't have to worry about waivers, I don't have to worry about a million trade offers. So I, I kind of played it. I, I don't, I mean, I think they were 10 bucks. So maybe I put 100 bucks in 10 drafts and kind of liked it. And I think I maybe I got my 100 bucks back at the end of the year. So, but I, it was like, oh, I didn't even expect that. So, um, the next year, I think I maybe 10 times that, maybe played 100. Um, and then draft came along. Uh, I'm wearing the shirt today, draft. So the good old days of draft um, represent those. Uh, all, probably most of those underdog employees right now are coming from draft, probably half of them. So, um, But that really just opened my eye to what it could be. Uh, there was tournaments for best ball. There was bigger prizes. Just the ease of doing it on my phone. I have a day job. I have a family. I have all those things. So time is just a constant constraint when you're doing fantasy football. And that's why we love it. We love to have that hobby. We love to have something away from all our commitments in life. So so I loved having that aspect of fantasy football. But when I found basketball, it was more... All of that plus the draft, which I love, so I could do the draft, I could work on strategy and kind of figure some things out. Um, and then I just never had to worry about it again and I could track those teams throughout the year. I, I just I just loved it. I thought it was really fun.
0: And yeah, at this point, I'm like, why didn't we think of this earlier? Because obviously the draft has always been the best part of it, you know, whether you're getting together in person mm-hmm. or just competing on the computer against people. I, I, I don't understand. I don't know why we didn't figure it out. We spent all these years doing mock drafts ahead of the season. And instead we could have been making them real drafts that then get scored throughout the year. You know, like that format was there. It just took so long for, for somebody to figure out how to monetize it. And then, you know, I, it's been pretty quick that it's grown to what it is now i missed draft as well. That was, I think what really got me into it with the ease of it, being able to do it from your phone, having slow drafts, having tournaments. So you know, I think it's really, yeah. You know, I don't want to say anything's a perfect way because the perfect way to play fantasy football is the way that you like to play it, whatever mm. makes it interesting for you. But it's like it it rewards good drafting. You know, it builds in all the strategy. It's easy to do without. You're not going to lose because you didn't have time to to hit waivers one particular week. So I, I've certainly become a bigger and bigger fan of it and a little bit more willing to to invest what it takes to play it, too.
1: Yeah. And definitely there's a lot of uh, smaller buy-ins too. So you can just dabble in it and it's fun. Like you don't have to, you don't have to draft all day long. You don't have to, you don't have to do what, what I'm doing (laughs) to have fun and enjoy it. So uh, yeah, I think it is new and I I think there's still a lot of ways to to come. I think dynasty basketball is going to kick off. I think there's a lot of different angles that are going to break off and you're going to have more like hybrid, hybrid redraft leagues and combined with best ball and and a lot of that kind of thing. So people still like waivers and trades. I get Mm -hmm. that. And and I still think you could have that. And I think FFPC still has that aspect. If you liked, if you like a best ball, but you also like the trading and the waivers here and there. So.
0: Yeah, if you love the in-season stuff, you don't have to give that up either to do this. You can draft these teams and then when you get to the season, you're managing those teams, you don't have to worry about these. So yeah. Um from those early days, how have you kind of seen it um, you know, develop in the like 7 years I think since you started playing it, 7 or 8 years?
1: It's definitely grown, right? So you've seen DFS, you've seen it, where it started. Where it kind of, there's a couple sites. Actually, when DFS first started, there's probably like four or five sites. There's a lot of little sites, right? And they mm-hmm. just kind of got kicked to the curb. I kind of see best similar as DFS. So it's growing. There's more people coming in to play. People are friendlier and they're sharing on Twitter. They're, getting people excited and people are catching that wave and wanting to dive in on their own. Once they start, once you do a few drafts, you kind of get hooked much like DFS once it was all, I mean, DFS is still fun when you have that every week's a new week. Right. So, mm-hmm. but I think best well too, is going to get there where every week's going to have new tournament best ball drafts. Um, we saw a little bit on uh DraftKings last year. So they offered that at weekly. They would mm-hmm. have, Week two, week three, week four, like any week you could dive in for a whole new season, rest of season best ball. The way underdogs growing, I don't know how they don't do that this year. I know they did one resurrection. uh, I think I started like week six, maybe Mm -hmm. something like that. But I can see a weekly kind of thing coming this year. So just the way the way I see it growing. So I think it's going to continue growing. Uh, It's only going to get bigger. So I think now there's going to be so many offerings. So you're going to have to be more picky and choose what, what works best for you, what kind of tournaments you like, what look for structures that work better for you, um, different entry fees and, and whatnot. So you, yeah, there's going to be endless ways to play this year, I believe.
0: Yeah, I started doing some of those weekly DFS style drafts uh, on both underdog. I think drafters had it too last season. I, I got to kind of figure out, the level to which like how many entries you need to make into a tournament for that to make sense. But it's nice to have that aspect to play with. Cause I can't say that I love DFS in season because of, I don't know the, I guess because it's missing the draft because once I started doing some of those weekly drafts, I was like, Oh, if DFS is like this, where I get the draft, I like it now. So um, I agree that there's more growth in that area. Has it become harder to win for you in the years that you've been playing more and more best ball? I don't know. Like I, It hasn't some, felt that way?
1: Yeah, so I, always, I like best ball. I play all the sports in best ball. I play all the contests. So I kind of view it as like a savings account to my next. But at the end of the day, I want it. My main portfolio is going to be NFL. But at the same time, I like the aspect of DFS where it's like you're constantly playing. So I find the same thing in best ball, but maybe it's like. Like yesterday, I started looking at MLB's best ball. On, they have the bunt and everything on underdog. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start this, and then down the line, I'm going to have some money when those when those cash out. So I do that with all the sports. Um, the NFL playoffs was probably one of the most fun contests you could play. Uh, people are hammering those drafts. And probably, then that's actually probably the most success I've had playing best ball. So I'm kind of looking for those kind of tournaments and angles and kind of things that people, so the best ball, yeah, is growing. There's more people out there. There's more people sharing content. Uh, There's more information for everybody. So everybody's kind of getting the same kind of information and the kind of the same rankings, the same ADP. So I'm trying to look how I can, make that work for myself and kind of twisting Mm -hmm. it a little bit and seeing what works best. So
0: yeah, it certainly worked for you in those two playoff contests on both drafters and underdog. Congrats publicly Uh, on on your big wins there.
1: Yeah, that was, yeah. Stuff like that makes it easier to tell your wife that, hey, I'm spending (laughs) this much time doing this stuff and pulling away from the family. So yeah, I don't know about you, but but sometimes I try to kind of
0: turn my phone away so nobody can see just how many drafts I'm doing at a time. (laughs)
1: yeah yeah it's kind of embarrassing at times
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i know that you put out your own rankings for free which is absurd you should stop doing that you should make people pay for them but how much are you following your own rankings as you do all these drafts i
1: would say probably 70 percent of the time maybe uh so it depends so that's that's kind of like a loaded question where Mm -hmm. I feel like every draft room is different. Every situation is different. And to be honest, uh, on a typical day I'm drafting, I'm probably doing, I don't know, like five to 20 drafts, maybe. So, and I'm reading news. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm kind of doing it all on the side where I'm doing other things. So it's kind of not like my main focus, but I'm kind of doing it. Like some people work from home, right. And they're watching TV shows and they're doing other things as they're doing their work. So it, I'm kind of doing the same, but just as the fantasy, fantasy angle and the best ball drafts. So I'm as news comes in as things I see in the draft rooms, I switch my rankings. I change them up probably, you know, three to five times a day when I'm actively drafting. So my rankings are just kind of like a work in progress constantly. So I kind of, the reason I give my rankings or whatever for free is because they're constantly changing. So, it's kind of like a baseline. It's Mm -hmm. not something I would, you know, three days later after I post something like that, I was like, yeah, you kind of have to kind of go with the flow and kind of see what you're seeing in the draft rooms and what you believe and kind of move players up and down. So it's, Mm -hmm. And that's why I love underdog because constantly on their app or on on their website, you can do that with ease. Um, I wish they had like a little bit better import export kind of Mm -hmm. features on there so you could have 10 different kinds of rankings so it's Mm -hmm. just like one standard ranking you're throwing on their site right now which i wish you could be like oh i want to draft heavy wide receivers or i want to draft this kind of style and you could have different kind of rankings so but i think all those things are coming like there's going to be a lot of different Mm -hmm. new tools and they're investing more in their in their websites all these all these sites but yeah, it's so fun right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, of course I'm joking about sharing rankings. It's cool to see yeah. stuff like that happening on Twitter. Um, to me, the the rankings are kind of like, especially early, you follow them a little bit more to show where you value guys and target players. But I think the further you get in, it becomes a bit more driven by I kind of like if then thinking as opposed to straight rankings, like, you know, round seven, it's not like, no, you shouldn't take this running back because I have this one ahead of him. That's still also available. It's more like, well, I have Lamar Jackson, so I should go ahead and take Marquise Brown right now and reach over these other wide receivers. I might like better, or, you know, I have these guys on my roster, if Will Fuller stays healthy and lands in a good spot, he could be huge. Whereas if he's not, he's going to be way down here. And I'm more in position to buy the, you know, rocket ship part of that than I am worried about the basement. So I'm going to go ahead and move him up for this draft. So I guess, are you kind of operating in that similar way where you're changing things in a draft? It sounds like and, and, and assessing on the fly based on what you have, what's available, just, you know, the whole landscape.
1: Uh, yeah, two degrees on that. Yes. Uh, I'm more, I've said this a lot of times uh, I'm more of a value drafter. So I'm looking for those values. So that's why I like to look at ADP. I like to look at my own rankings. I like to compare the two. Uh, You can easily, if you do that, you can easily see like who you, who right now in ADP is over, over ranked or overvalued and then undervalued. And you can, you can kind of pick that out. Even when people are undervalued though, you want to be careful. You want to, You don't want to draft that player because you haven't ranked two rounds higher. You don't need to draft him two rounds higher so you can kind of play with it. Like, you know what? I can wait on him and, and I can still get him another round later, even though I think he's... So you're, you're getting value constantly throughout the draft. Um, I think tiers... I don't think we talk enough about tier ranking in best ball. I kind of, when I'm setting my own rankings on the underdog app... You'll see I'll have like I'll have like 15 wide receivers all just bunched together. Um, and then maybe a few running backs or whatnot. So so then when I'm actually doing my drafts, I'll it's my turn in the eighth round. And my I have like two running backs or I don't know, three running backs and three receivers on my team at that time. I can look at my rankings and and I can see, oh, there's eight, eight wide receivers I have ranked here and one running back in the middle of those. I'm gonna take that running back because I have a chance of those eight receivers are going to fall to the next round to me. So I'm always looking for those kind of angles just to kind of see how my construction works um and, and the best way to do that and I'm I'm not saying like throw your money away doing this. You're going to want to enter a small dollar tournament, but really just before bed or you feel like you have good ranking set up, just put like 3 or 4 Drafts on auto draft and go to bed and wake up and then analyze those drafts and and, and you will see trends you'll see those teams look almost identical and you can kind of see what other people are doing and go through them and you can kind of customize your rankings so I do that kind of stuff a lot too I don't yeah, that.
0: I've seen I've seen you mention that before I I've thought about it I'm not sure I've quite gotten to the point of having the guts to to put my 10 bucks in or five or whatever and not be in control of the team but i can definitely understand the upside of doing so
1: yeah and and i think yeah maybe you do for one on a five dollar entry you know Mm -hmm. and just to kind of for research purposes (laughs) Mm -hmm. but but for the record too i'm not like a huge stacker so Mm -hmm. i'm more chasing value than my stacks which probably is not good on my part so i'm just trying to learn i'm trying to i'm trying to get the middle like what everyone else is telling me on the outside and all this information that's coming into me, it's telling me to draft a certain way and what is optimal and blah, blah, blah. But I, because I such a volume drafter, I don't feel like I have to go by all those things. Cause all my teams will look exactly the same and they're mm-hmm. going to look exactly the same as everyone else. If I do that, like it doesn't make sense for me. So mm-hmm. I so, don't
0: know. So I, I had that down to, to get to the stacking question in particular, Mm-hmm. Um, is this a matter of not finding that stacking matches with drafting for value? Is it a matter of not trying to stack because now everybody else is? What's what? What's bringing you to your current feeling on stacking?
1: Uh, so let's go back to say, I, I do agree with stacking. I uh-huh. do like it. I do do it. But that's not my number one focus. I just mm-hmm. feel like that is... Most people enter best ball draft and they do a little bit of research and they read a few articles, they listen to a video or whatever. That's the first thing that will come up stacking. You need to stack, you need to stack. And then you go to a draft lobby and that is the whole draft room. Everyone's doing that. So everyone's doing the exact same thing. So I'm not that I'm trying to be like crazy different or anything like that. And I, I will still, I still will stack. I'll look for more value stacks. I will look for, if I get Lamar Jackson, I, don't need to reach on Marquise Brown. Maybe I go Bateman later, or or maybe it's like Gus Edwards or, or something different. Mm-hmm. So I think stacks can still fall to you. Um, I'm not willing to take like a Marquise Brown uh, when there's, I don't know, like a Mike Evans there or somebody like that. I'd rather take Mike Evans and maybe I get Marquise Brown next round. But if somebody else grabs him, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that makes sense.
0: No, yeah, I I agree with that level of, I don't know if anti-stacking is a word, but not reaching to make the stack because then you're giving away the value that you would be adding by stacking because you're reaching over better players to complete that stack. I, I find myself gravitating more toward later value stacks, kind of the point you just made. I know that. Trevor Lawrence with his receivers have been one that I've done you know, a, a bunch of times. We can get Trevor Lawrence, Marvin Jones, Laviska Shenault, Dan Arnold, and I'm not saying I'm putting all those guys together in one right. roster, but all those options are available later, where even if you miss out on one, there's another or one other available. Um, Tua and Devontae Parker is another one where they're available late enough that you don't have to reach for anybody to make it happen. I wonder if – the format of, you know, specifically a big board right now and some other best ball tournaments that that follow the same format where, you know, it's a typical regular season, but then we get to a point where it becomes one week elimination rounds. To me, that seems to make stacking a little bit more important. You still don't want to reach too far, but I think there's a bit more value in that if your quarterback or wide receiver goes off that week and you don't have the quarterback or wide receiver, all of a sudden you're probably going up against people that do have that stack. And for the one week aspect, it seems to make it just a little bit more important. Do you find yourself adjusting that at all for that kind of format?
1: No, definitely hundred percent because I've saw that this year. So I was against, I was in the finals against teams like that. Right. And yeah, the burrow and chase and the burrow <laughs> and Higgins, like you needed those combos so I, I'm trying to adjust all the time. I'm trying to learn. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to listen. I'm not one that you're going to get on a show or on Twitter, and uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be one like this is the way it is. This is the way it's going to be always. You're doing it wrong. You know, like that's not me. Uh, you're never going to get that with me. I want to hear everyone's point of view. Um, I, that's that's kind of how I I learn how I play best I want to do. I want so, so I'm still doing stacking, so probably 50% of the time and sometimes I'll reach on the stacks and sometimes I won't. So uh, yeah, I don't know how to answer that question. Like I believe in stacking, but I also mm. don't think it's 100% right.
0: Yeah, well that's why I <laughs> wanted to ask you about it because I know that we've we we kind of joked back and forth on, about it on, on Twitter before and I'm sure that you're not oh. 100% against stacking, which wouldn't make no. a lot of sense. So that's why I'm curious to get your thoughts. <laughs> Because you know the other thing is, like you said, if you're drafting the same way that everybody else is, then you're not really getting an edge by doing that. So it, it is important to take in what other people are doing and assess what you should be doing. I mean, I know that when I first got into doing fantasy advice, I think most people, when you get into it, you, you do it because you're confident enough in the way you're doing things that you feel like you can give people um, value by telling them how to do something. And at some point you have to kind of, Figure out the line between telling them the way to do it and talking about what's more likely to help, but also, you know, assessing everything along the way. So I like what you're saying about that because I, I maybe it's me getting older and softer now that I have kids and everything. But, you know, it is important to take in everything and apply it somehow. And applying it doesn't mean that you necessarily follow it to a T in your own drafting, but even just knowing what other people are doing maybe sometimes it makes you do the opposite because then you're going to be different from what you're drafting against
1: no no definitely not all the time do it that way but yeah just try to think a little differently try to think i don't know i get bent out of shape sometimes when i'll post like hey nick chubb awesome value it's two three turn and then it's like what he's the worst value it's that the second round? Why would you ever take him? There's no upside. Blah blah blah. It's like, uh, well, he could lead the whole league in, in in rushing yards, and they have no pass catchers in Cleveland, so I, I don't mind it actually. And like things like that, I'll get a little bit out of shape. And yeah, all right, I'm drafting Chubb uh, 101 just <laughs> just for fun a couple times. Uh, but there's there's tons of different. My wife hates. She hates. She always wants to fight with me. Right. That's just not i was like oh yeah i see your side but here's my side too so both sides are right so whatever you want to go with that
0: (laughs) i definitely annoy my wife and probably my daughters at this point by hearing something and being like yeah but maybe that other person meant this you're like no i don't think so i'm like right maybe they didn't i'm just saying maybe they did (laughs) maybe Uh this is happening you know it's 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 important, and obviously not only in best ball, it's important to kind of take everything in to think about uh, um, different things that are going on and, and assess all of it. Now, one other thing that, that adds a challenge is all these different tournament types, and we've had a couple of different ones come up on Underdog already this early in the year. We're currently in the, the, best, the um, Big Board Plus Super Flex. There was, what, the Backyard Format it looks like you're just ready to jump into whatever kind of tournament they throw out. Is that true? Or are there any that you back off and wait and see
1: my main advice on this? I gave it to a friend, uh, just on Twitter, lots of friends on Twitter, right? (laughs) But, but we have a kind of this underdog, degen group that we we were always chatting about this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to play this backyard or whatever. I I don't have any funds in there right now. I gotta wait to like everything come comes back and pays out. They're like, what do you mean you're not going to do it? You always told me like first tournament comes out, you need to like just jump in and go crazy the first day before like the next day ADP is going to adjust. Right. And I thought about it for a minute. "Eh, Yeah, you're right. So then (laughs) what I do, I did like 40 drafts first day. (laughs) So so I think you always want to do that, especially in these kind of new formats like the backyard, those rookies and sophomores. There's no information out there. Nobody knows, and the ADPs are just—they threw them out there, just like, "Hey, this is right from Underdog. We're—we're we're not going to tell you what where you should draft players, you know." So you gotta—you gotta figure that out. I remember last year when they did the rookie sophomores. It's like it's kind of a fun format. It's like, "Oh, this is different. This is fun." And I dove right in, and I was like, mm, "Justin Herbert, he's got to be the one-on-one on this, right?" And he was like, at the time when he first came out, he was being drafted like. I don't know, second or third round, like 12th overall. And, and then after like a week, it adjusted. People people caught on. I, I've just talked about it on Twitter a little bit too, like mm-hmm. different contest types, the bully bully QB, where you just hoard that whole position. Not like you're trying to be an a-hole and blocking other drafters,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's just the construction of your own team. It mm-hmm. gives you the best chance Quarterbacks, the highest scoring position, and there's only a limited amount of quarterbacks. So why not get three quarterbacks or whatever and lock them in? And mm-hmm. you're just way ahead of the field. Like mm-hmm. I, it, it's Simple things like that. You got to do a few drafts. You got to figure it out and you got to understand the scoring, the roster limits, look at all the rules, look at the advance rates. Like some of those underdog tournaments, it's like two out of six are advancing in the first round. So mm-hmm you can take maybe a little more risk in those, but if it's like one and six, you you kind of have to, you kind of have to adjust. And, and maybe it is that bully style that you're just like, I'm going to hoard this position. No one else is going to score points at quarterback or tight end or, or whatever. So different things like that. I think these new tournaments, you want to get in them early and then maybe you just do it the first few days and then you back off and kind of mm-hmm. see how the rest of the community adjust to it. And, and kind of re, readjust after that,
0: especially snatching those quarterbacks in that format where it's not obvious that you would need the quarterback value, or it's not obvious that they're going to be scarce. The superflex, I think, it's a little bit more obvious the importance of quarterbacks, and we're seeing them go, you know, early as they should now in those big board superflex drafts. Have you kind of arrived at a, a primary build? For that particular tournament, whether it be numbers at each position or when you're targeting or any of that. Obviously, you know, it, I think it's dictated somewhat by where you are in the draft order, um, which gets evened out if you're doing a bunch of drafts. But you, do you have a like a primary build that you're going with?
1: Uh, so my brain's just like all over the place. Redraft, super flex. Like I've never <laughs> done super flex before, but obviously, first day I dove into that. I wish I did more first day, to be honest. I wish I would have yeah. entered like 50 or you know, 100 slow drafts, to be honest, because the quarterbacks just they went crazy. So like basically now if you're entering that contest, it's you just take three quarterbacks by around four almost. That's kind of – it's basically you just draft your quarterbacks and then start the draft after that. That's how that tournament's turned out, in my opinion. Um, I still like it but I think it's kind of set now. So it's kind of ADPs are more set and people are going to all do the same and teams are all going to look the same. So the first few days, you definitely had an advantage in that format, I believe.
0: Yeah, I was a little hesitant to jump in because I was like, I don't know, Superflex a little bit tougher to just kind of mm-hmm. figure out the values on the fly. I don't really have my ranking set yet for 2022. And then, you know, two days later, it's like, man, I should just uh- jump in and winged it for a little while because it, yep. after a couple of days, people are going to kind of have it figured out.
1: Yeah. That's, that's how, that's how I I've thought about that in past tournaments. So that's why even cause you're saying that everyone else is saying the same thing. Like there's no super flex rankings out there that anybody has. There's no okay. really, unless you've played Superflex in another format, you don't really know how to construct a team. So the information was hard to come by. Um, but now I think it's kind of, People have thrown their two cents in and people have kind of done a few drafts and they kind of know where they're sitting with it. Mm -hmm. So I would honestly now, and maybe this is bad because I think there's maybe a couple strategies to do the super flex, but I think you could just draft three quarterbacks straight up, like the best three quarterbacks every round and then start your draft. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Like the first three rounds, take quarterback, you mean?
1: Yep. And then just start the rest of your draft. Or you just take all the stud players. And then by, like, round 10, you try to grab five or six quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. like Yeah, just whatever's left, and you hope you get two or three starters.
0: So. Yeah, I was I was going to say one, I guess one way to try to differentiate there still mm-hmm. is, you know, depending on the draft position, but get one of those studs early. Maybe take the second in the range of, like... I don't know, Baker Mayfield or even a little bit before that, where it's somebody you know is going to be a starter all season but is going to stick around on the board for a while. And then three or even four of the young either backups or incoming rookies and you just hope that one or two of those guys really pops this year. And then in the meantime, you're snapping up the stud, the closer to stud level players at the other positions that are sliding because of the quarterback frenzy.
1: Yeah, I, I think both both ways to do that or yeah and and your way you just mentioned yeah so i don't think there's like a ton of different ways to draft in that mm-hmm. um but i yeah i think there's probably maybe three or four viable ways to do it um and what i tell people is too, like get in a few drafts and then look look for like the eric bine for and look for justin herzig and see how they're drafting i'm not saying copy their drafts but uh-huh. just see what they do and and, and you're going to learn a lot and, and they post a lot too. They post how they're doing, how they're approaching these things and they're going to share with you as well. So, but that's, that's usually what I, I'm kind of, I'm doing my own style, but then I'm also reevaluating, looking at other people mm-hmm. and then readjusting. So,
0: yeah, I mean, it's the same as, as reading other people's content, seeing how they draft is going to tell you something about how they, they play in the field, just like their words about how to do it. Um Player exposures are a big mm-hmm. thing. And I player exposure, like, you know what 5 years ago player exposure didn't mean anything <laughs> that, like I had never right. even heard of it as a term <laughs> now all of a sudden we're building portfolios of players and uh, you know I obviously understand why it matters so how closely and I think this is more of a non super flex question because you talked about the difference of drafting in this one but you know let's let's talk about the regular big board tournament or other similar redraft one quarterback you know standard kind of lineup tournaments how closely are you tracking your player exposures within a particular tournament to make sure that you don't get too much of a guy or, you know, maybe getting as much as you want of a guy. Are are you aware of that? How aware are you of that going through the tournament?
1: I definitely look at my exposures throughout the week, a couple times, a few times. Uh, I adjust my rankings off of it. If I have say like, I don't know, josh jacobs and jk dobbins like side by side in my rankings and maybe i'm you know 15 percent on josh jacobs but only two percent on dobbins like it's probably good to flip those in my rankings Think, little things like that so i'm kind of looking mm-hmm. through where players same position are side by side um, but i am like 10 percent off on one player opposed to the other like i feel like i made those mistakes the last ever since I started playing best I, I I continue to make them. I'm still making them this year, but uh, I got burned last year by a few players um, because I draft so early and so often and throughout the whole, like right after the Super Bowl and just keep drafting. So I had a lot of JK Dobbins. I had a lot of Irv Smith Jr. I had a lot of Cam Akers. Like those were three of my highest owned players uh, in baseball last year. So, it kind of, when they get injured in the middle of the summer and you don't even have a chance, you get an automatic zero in the draft capital you put in those. You just look at that and it's like, I could have had all these similar players. Like, I, like that's fine if I like that player, but I don't need to be 25% on Cam Akers. Like I could have been more like 12%, you know, and evened it out with a few other players. Like things like that, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to track. There's not like a great tool out there. You manually have to do a lot of this stuff. You basically want to take your player ownership and you want to take your own rankings or ADP and you want to line them all up and kind of make your own spreadsheets and, and mm-hmm. things like that to see. see where you'll, you'll see the differences. You're like, oh man, I have zero of this player. Do I hate them? Look at the reasonings why you're doing it. So I'm still learning on there. I try to set like kind of small areas where where I don't want to go over 30% on a player. Um, I've tried to dial that down to more like 20 to 25% on mm-hmm. players that I love.
0: So that's like your basically your upper threshold is 20-25%. You don't want to go above that on anybody.
1: That's pretty much where I am. I say if you're drafting over 100 drafts, that's what I would do.
0: I, this might it might be the toughest part really yep. is because yeah, fantasy is all about picking the players that you want and mm-hmm. avoiding the players you don't want. So, I mean, out, even outside of fantasy football, it's tough to say, you know what, sometimes I'm wrong. <laughs> so, we all have to realize that. And it's, it's, not, it's not something that you do if you're drafting one or three fantasy teams a mm-hmm. year. But now, if you're drafting, you know, hundreds you have to take some players that you don't like because you're going to be wrong sometimes and if you're wrong on, you know, three key players that you like this year for whatever reason they got injured or whatever then it's a much different year than if you just hedged your bets to some degree on a couple of those guys
1: not 100% and i think that end of draft players so like maybe rounds 15 to 20 those players, too, I don't want to be 20% on any of those players. Like, I, I think it's better even to be more like 10%, even on the players that you love in that range. There's just so many players. They're all similar, and I mean, I mean I, I'm I, 100% wrong, though. Like, if, you, if you're Amon St. Brown, you loved him last year, and you just went 50% on him, like, you're going to win. Like, that's, I can't predict that. Like mm-hmm. I can't pick that player out of this 2022 draft in those late rounds. That's going to do that. So I don't want to be 50%, but I would like to have 10% where maybe mm-hmm. last year I only had like 2% of St. Brown, you know, so I, I want to mix and match more of those those mm-hmm. kind of players later in my drafts and kind of not be too low and not too high on, mm-hmm. on those type of players.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it certainly matters less the farther you get into a draft because if mm-hmm. you, lose your 14th round pick on, you know, 50% of your teams, it's probably not going to kill your chances of making money. But if you took this guy 50% of the time and the guy going right after him, 0% and that's the guy that pops, then you're going to lose out. So, yeah, I agree. That's one thing that I'm, so one player that I really like so far just for value is Chris Carson. And I clearly draft him knowing that there's a chance his neck is done and we find Mm -hmm. out in July that he's just not he can't play football anymore because it's not safe so I know that that's a possibility I also know that the upside is if he's if the surgery worked and he's Chris Carson this year I got a team's lead running back a team that likes to run the ball a lot in the 13th or 14th round a lot so I'm tr- I, I'm still trying to work on balancing that, and frankly, I'm way on the other side of the scale from what you're talking about. If, if we find out in July that Chris Carson's not playing this year, I'm going to be sad, and I'm probably going to stop potting for a little while. But you know, it, it, it is important to to find that balance. Something I'm still working with, but at the same time, I don't want to work too far the other way. I I, I think mm. I would rather chase the ceiling on a guy like that than worry too much about the basement.
1: Yeah, I, I won't get into my Chris Carson because I don't want to hurt your feelings.
0: <laughs> no, I'm I'm totally open. If you look at the draft sharks rankings right now, uh, it looks like we collectively hate Chris Carson. That's because I tried talking the other guys into it and they're like, nah, his neck hurts.
1: Yeah, so so i have a few best ball and I think underdog going to 20 rounds is a little bit better for for taking a few shots on guys like Carson, maybe. But 18 rounds, it's like that was my rule. I'm not taking any players that are injured coming off like a serious injury and like so many question marks, like, we just don't know, like all summer long, it's just going to be a question. Like, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to know his health until week one, maybe like, it's, mm-hmm. I just don't want a player like that on my team. And I just, I don't know. So, so that I've learned that lesson over the f- few years. Cause I've took those chances. Mm-hmm. Um, and Um, I know if it hits, it's going to hit big for you, right? Like you're going to get a guy that has potential to get, Think double digit touchdowns um depending where he goes and if he goes the bigger team too like even better so i i get the the risk that's involved there and it could pay off but I, i've learned to not i want to make everyone best well you there's no waivers no trades no nothing mm-hmm. you draft that player you're stuck with them all year so i kind of had this rule last year where it's like I only want to draft players I know actually are going to be playing in week one like I know right this day when I'm mm-hmm. drafting that they will be playing 100 chance so that's kind of how I looked at it I didn't want to take a zero I've kind of dialed off that a little bit I'll take some more chances I don't like to take guys coming off injured injuries as much unless they fall if they fall like two or three four rounds yeah then I'll, then I'll throw them on my team and I don't I've been backing off on older players, so I'm trying to, unless they're quarterback, obviously, quarterback's one that, like, running backs and receivers, yeah, running backs especially, like, their window is just so much smaller. There's so many running backs. Every team feels like they're going through three or four running backs a year, so I don't know. It's a hard position for me to, to figure mm-hmm. out.
0: Oh, yeah, it's totally fair. And, you know, it's been a better idea lately to back away from a running back that's older on his second Mm. contract, a free agent, whatever, than it is to bet on that guy. There's definitely a chance that, (laughs) you know, we get to even uh, August and people are like, told you, you should have shut up about Chris Carson. But it's it's fair to, to back away from a guy with questions like that. And we've already seen a clear example of that in Calvin Ridley in that he was out of football he looked like a value. He was one of my higher owned wide receivers in early drafts. And I'm not talking about huge volume, but you know, Mm -hmm. there are some teams that have fourth round Calvin Ridley on them that I am praying that something magical happens to them so that they're not zeros right now. So, you know, that's definitely a risk worth calculating as you're figuring out whether you want to bother with the guy.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, the Ridley situation, that's just bad luck. There's nothing you can do about that. Like, we're going to have like probably three or four more stuff like that. It's just going to kind of come out of nowhere and players done and you never, you get a zero, you know, but yeah, like a fourth round player that it's always tough. That's tough. And injuries are going to happen too. And it's kind of the name of the game. Like you'll get down, like you'll, as soon as a guy gets injured, you check his ownership. You're like, I'm 18% on this guy, you know? And then you're like, I'm not drafting for the next three days. Like it takes you a few days to get over it. And then, like, all right, back at it, you know, but I
0: don't know. I feel like I'm kind of pushing the other way where I'm like, crap, now I got to go make up for those Calvin Ridley teams. I guess I'm spending today drafting. Don't bother me, kids.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know I get that sometimes, but so, I usually need it.
0: Besides Chris Carson, are there any other players that you're particularly avoiding right now?
1: Oh, so I put my fade list. In. Uh, let's, let's, do you want me to talk about the players I'd like or the ones I'm fading? first? Let's hit them both. Okay. I'll, well, let's start with the bad guys first, the fates. So I made a quick list of, like, Jameis Winston. I think he's his ADP is, like, 77 in Superflex, and, like, that's insane. I'd rather have Davis Mills. I'd rather have Garoppolo, uh, I don't know, Goff, Baker, all those guys way over Winston. Like, we don't. Coming off the injury, and it seems like no team really, I don't know, nobody's, there's no news out there on him. But he's a fade for me. Uh, Jameson Williams, one of the rookies, I'm fading him over a lot of the other rookies. And that's the thing It's probably going to bite me because like a Jameson Williams, he's probably a great pick for these tournaments because halfway through the year, you know, even if he doesn't play the first eight games, then you have him on your roster. And then he comes in second half of the year and dominates, you know, you're going to miss out right there. So that one's going to probably bite me. Uh, Beckham Jr. I'm fading Irv Smith Gronkowski. I just don't think it's worth it. Logan Thomas, Chris Carson, and I had James Robinson. James Robinson, kind of the same as Chris Carson. And my other one is kind of, I was fading Ridley as well. Just there's too many. Like, it was just so weird last year. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of been fading him. I think Will Fuller's kind of like in that situation too. Like, Mm -hmm. I get like it's worth the gamble probably, but Deshaun Watson's kind of maybe worth the gamble. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another big name is Michael Thomas. Like, I don't know what to do with him. And when I have players, I just don't know what to do. I often will drop them in my rankings and let other people draft them, and they can deal with it. So, those are kind of players on my list of fades that yeah.
0: are, are bigger names. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I can understand that with Will Fuller. He's kind of like a like a five percent guy for me. I want to get some just in mm-hmm. case we get you know healthy Will Fuller for twelve games, and I can also understand being totally out on him. Calvin Ridley, uh, you know. It's obviously bad luck that he got mm-hmm. caught betting on the NFL. None of us could have known that because hey, we just saw the report that the Eagles were trying to trade for him. And the Falcons are like, actually we're going to hold off on that trade now. Cause somebody's... yeah,
1: that was nice of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it, it is bad luck, but obviously it's a guy with red flags. So I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I chose to ignore those red flags. It bit me. There were red flags with Michael Thomas last year. I took him some, mm-hmm. so uh, that came back to bite me. Otherwise, I'm with you on that list, which sounds like primarily guys with big injury questions mm-hmm. and you know the kind of questions where even if they're fully healthy by the start of the season, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're then set up for success. Like I mentioned yesterday, I think it was yesterday, might have been the day before, but I- I'm not drafting Jameis Winston at all right now. He's coming off an ACL tear. He's a wild card when fully healthy. He has no contract. I have no idea what 2022 is going to look like for Jameis Winston. And I'm not worried that he's going to come back and be QB five. So I don't care about the risk I'm missing out. Uh, Jameis Williams and not just him, but that's kind of a rookie profile that I tend to avoid in general in fantasy is a guy coming off, especially a late season, serious injury. You know, might he be fine for the season? Might he be close to full strength? Maybe, but Mm -hmm. you're already talking about a rookie who is, you know, it's already more likely that they have a tough uh, time getting used to the league than that they're just a stud right away. Now you're adding in the significant injuries he's got a rehab from. Um, we don't know what team he's going to yet, so he might even land in a bad situation. So to me, I, I'm just, I don't, I don't even feel bad about skipping that one because there are so many other receivers, and especially because he's going, you know, decently early. He's been in the wide receiver 40s. I'm not sure where he is right now, an underdog, but to, he's been a total avoid for me so far, too
1: he just feels like one of those guys that maybe he's going to bite you right like maybe for these tournaments the top heavy tournaments like if he's a guy maybe at the end that's fully healthy for that playoff stretch like he might be a difference maker but yeah it's still going to cost you like you said and it's going to cost you in your draft like he's not dirt cheap like he's Mm -hmm. still and there's still players around him that are going to give you a floor and a ceiling sometimes for you. So it's worth taking them in a best ball roster maybe, but for tournaments, he's like on my eh, maybe list.
0: (laughs) I'll be curious to see how much he climbs if he's healthy, like this summer. Mm -hmm. Cause I, you know, I I doubt that he's going to be in, you know, the twenties or, or maybe even high thirties. So maybe he's somebody that you can make up for, you know, June or July drafts. If things are looking better by that point.
1: I kind of, I kind of put him in the, waddle from last year. Like I was kind of off waddle just cause there's seemed like mm-hmm. a few question marks. I was like,
0: I don't want to make that mistake again. <laughs> so,
1: but I think yeah, it's a later injury and everything too. So.
0: And I, that, that's one of the mistakes we can make yeah. is, you know, overcompensating for something we did wrong last year by mm-hmm. trying to make sure we don't do the same thing. If we, if we tell ourselves that it's a similar situation this year. So I, I try to, mm-hmm. I try to not let myself do that like you know make sure that i draft mark andrews this year now that he's going in round two just because i didn't take him last year when he was going in round late round four or five no
1: no i like that no.
0: all right so what about the the favorite targets
1: uh favorite targets uh so Superflex kind of messed it most of my brain messed everything <laughs> up right but as far as quarterbacks go like in a regular standard best ball draft I think uh, Justin Fields is probably my favorite. I think he's still undervalued. I think he he just has. I, I like the Bears like in general. I don't know why. I just kind of like them as a breakout team this year. Um, but I think Fields isn't so crazy. And kind of when we're talking about stacking, I think Mooney and Commit are decent ways to to work. I'm kind of anti-stacker, so maybe I go the Bears with Fields and Mooney and Commit. So I don't mind that. Uh quarterback. I also think it's not always about getting the best players in best ball. Obviously, you want to have the best players, but you can build a quarterback position with certain players. So guys like Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, they're names that people don't like, right? They they've kind of fell off last year or did something that maybe like, oh, they didn't win for their team or they messed up one play and people like latch onto that and they don't want a piece of car Tannehill or cousins, where I feel like if I drafted a team and only had those three quarterbacks in best ball, I'm pretty confident. Like you have pretty good ADP. You're not drafting them. So that means the rest of your team is going to be pretty loaded and you only have to start one, one. And one of those guys is going to do well each week and be like a top 10 QB. So I kind of like that to go on quarterbacks. I like looking for values later uh, running backs that I really like, and this is why I don't, I haven't been drafting Chris Carson and James Robinson because I like players like Justin Jackson, I like Keyshawn Vaughn, players that I think have a little bit more upside. And I, you don't know the situation, but there's also a gamble there, right? So may Carson and Robinson approved it in the past; these guys have not proved it. But I like the opportunity. That's I'm kind of gambling more on the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, and Elijah Mitchell's another name Damian Harris uh, Javante Williams he was the guy I just took every second in the second round constantly I think he'll be a first round pick now though with Russell Wilson and all the Broncos love and Javante Williams will probably be actually like top six overall pick by August
0: (laughs) He's, um, he's been funny because early on I, there were drafts where he would go second or third overall. Mm-hmm. And then we got rumor that Melvin Gordon wants to be back. The Broncos want him back. And people are like, oh, I guess we have to mm-hmm. wait on Javante Williams and he's in round two. It's it, that it, it's an example of, it's just kind of funny to watch the ebbs and flows as news comes out in this, in the best ball draft rooms. So I, I took some mm-hmm. Javante early. I thought I kind of backed up, off of him a little bit. Um, just because I, I guess I got my shares and I also like other running backs in that range. Mm -hmm. He's going to be interesting to watch though. I think we'll, if you really want Javante Williams, I would try to draft him between now and Tuesday when we start to find out where running backs are going to land. Because if Melvin Gordon does re-sign with the Broncos, then I certainly think Williams probably deserves to slide some.
1: Yeah, if Gordon stays, then, yeah, he's probably going to be drafted in the middle of the second round, right? Like, that's kind of where he's – or first – like, in that middle first part of the second round. But just all the stuff you're saying about him, it reminds me 100% of Jonathan Taylor last year. Like, that – they're not the exact same kind of running back, but I feel like the situation's a little bit the same. Like, people were so – all offseason last year, Jonathan Taylor, oh, he's going to be, like, the one-on-one – Oh no, all this situation, middle of the second round. Like it was just flip flop the whole year. So that's kind of, I'm not saying it's the same situation, but I'd like to get some Williams right now.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I see Jonathan Taylor's situation in that as well. And I was off Jonathan Taylor when he was going, you know, 105 to 107 range, Mm -hmm. like early drafting last year. I thought it was too early. And now I'm like, well, I can, I'm not going to say that Javante Williams is Jonathan Taylor. Cause even Jonathan Taylor, we couldn't count on that kind of season, but he has similar things going for him. Very good runner could be a feature back if things break right for him. So I'm definitely not going to dismiss this being a, a terrific season for him. No, hundred
1: percent wide receivers, Devonte Smith. He's probably my top one. That's a little bit uh, biased as Eagles fan. Probably uh, <laughs> another one that's biased T Higgins. He won me a lot of money. So I've been drafting him the second round every time I can get him. Deontay Johnson, Pittsburgh. feel like we don't know the quarterback situation, so I think he's just devalued by a round or two. Like I think he's just a star wide receiver and it's just going to give you points every week. So I like him. DJ Moore, kind of the same as Johnson. K.J. Osborne, the uh, Vikings. I like him. I like getting him stacked with Cousins occasionally. Uh, Rondell Moore is another one of the ones I think is really undervalued right now for the Cardinals. I just think Kirk's probably gone. Uh, Moore is a rookie. Like they tried to get him involved last year, but you could just tell like he was still pretty young, uh, and raw, but he still showed glimpses. So I just think this year he's going to be like a huge riser for that team. I, we don't know how much Hopkins has left. Like I could see, by the end of 2022, like drafting next year, like Rondell Moore is probably going to be like a round, top five round pick, I would think. I like Juju a little bit. I think there's some value there. It's kind of banking on where he falls in free agency. Uh, and some of those rookie receivers, like Gabe Wilson, I think it's worth a shot. I think after the draft, all these rookie the high ends that uh, are going to get drafted in the first round, all their values are going to go up a round or two. So I'd get him now. If you could tight end, I got commit. I got Brevin Jordan on Houston, the Cleveland. I like Hunter Henry. I like Dallas Goddard and then some late round guys, Parham on the chargers. Like, I don't know what they're doing with the tight end situation. Mm-hmm. And then I think uh, Tyler Conklin's like a decent gamble too. I think he'll get a decent contract somewhere and, and contribute. So those are kind of some of the players that I that I've been drafting and have higher ownership on.
0: And the big thing about a lot of those tight ends is that they're like tight end three types. So you're not taking them Mm -hmm. in a range where you need them to do something, but you're taking them in a range where if they do something nice, then it's particularly adding value.
1: Yeah, and that 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 would be one of my main strategies is I hate tight end. I have for years. And now with 20 rounds, it's even better because I can just draft three or four with my last three or four picks. Like, don't even don't even look at the tight end position all draft and just spend your last three or four picks on tight end. Try it once, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I think you'll like how it turns out. Because a lot of those late round guys, yeah, like you said, it's like, whoa, he could be a tight end three and maybe hits for you. But if you have three or four of those that you say the same thing about. Like every week you're probably just gonna get base level points there and you're gonna be all right and you're gonna get some spike weeks. So tight end positions the worst. I hate I hate that position.
0: <laughs> Worse than kicker or uh obviously nah, kicker's we... not really in most of our lineups here, but yeah, we don't deal with kickers anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't exist. I noticed that you mentioned Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard, but you did not mention Jalen Hurts. Uh... just going a little bit too early or a little uncertainty. No, I like him. I, I I think the
1: uncertainty is probably going to help you a little bit, right? You're going to get him cheaper. But once it's once it's after the draft and everything and Hurts is the guy, it, his ADP's going up a couple of rounds.
0: Like mm-hmm.
1: I'm taking him over Trey Lance. I like I think Trey Lance is a little overvalued right now, but I I think Trey Lance is fun and the idea of tra- Trey Lance makes sense and it, it could be Kyler Murray kind of when he, when he broke out, you know, that's mm-hmm. similar to what I see there, but yeah, Hertz, I guess that goes back to not stacking. Right. And I'm getting a little bit more value on Goddard yeah. and Devante Smith. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know why I'm not, I think I, I'm still drafting Hertz, but uh-huh. not at the level of those two guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that he, he probably doesn't stand out as, as much of a value, especially because Justin Fields is a, a couple rounds behind him mm-hmm. and they're I think similar in how the season could go well for them. So I can understand how the value on fields kind of overshadows Jalen Hurts. If we knew for sure that Jalen Hurts was the full season starter for the Eagles this year, though, just based on what he's done so far, I mean, he should probably be going ahead of Joe Burrow in these drafts. I'll be interested to see, I guess, what happens if the Eagles don't draft a quarterback in the first round? And I, I don't know. I don't think I would bet on them doing so. Um, so I, I've certainly been been drafting plenty of Jalen Hurts so far, and we, we've seen what the the week-to-week upside is.
1: Yeah, if they don't get another quarterback, right, and then they, they have all this draft capital and they could take a wide receiver early. You add another receiver to the offense, like, and it's only Hurts. And free agency, they're probably going to add a receiver too. So I, I just think it's going to be a better situation for him. He, he just seems like a leader. He seems like a guy that coaches love and the players love. So I just don't like the opposite of Wentz, right? Like seem like players just absolutely hate him, <laughs> but Hertz is just like this nicest guy. And yeah, it's kind of, he's kind of gained the trust of the, of definitely the team.
0: Mm -hmm. At least they didn't hate him enough to do so publicly. They just did so as unnamed sources. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So maybe he's not a totally bad dude. But actually, now that he plays for Washington, he's a totally bad dude. (laughs) (laughs) Get to play him twice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, uh, it definitely feels um, a lot less... It hurts me a lot less than when Donovan McNabb got traded from Philly to Washington, because that was that was like mm-hmm. peak. I'm still a Donovan McNabb fan, and now all of a sudden he's playing for Washington. I know he, he's probably, yeah. hurt, but it it doesn't it doesn't feel right to see him go there.
1: Yeah, McNabb is just like one of our guys, right? They can't I can't say anything bad about him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's been a little unfortunate how the post career stuff has gone, but i no. i still I still no. have a warm place in my heart for him. So. We talked about a lot of player advice, strategy type stuff. I'm sure that there are people listening and playing at various levels of involvement. You know, mm-hmm. I would think most drafters are not high volume. There's plenty of high volume drafters. To somebody who might be intimidated by the number of people who seem to be high volume drafters, what kind of advice would you have for somebody looking to play who knows that they're not going to be doing, you know, a hundred entries? Is it stay away from the tournaments and try to do the more 12 person leagues, or is it just, you know, try to find differentiating strategies to counteract the number of entries?
1: I would think before you start, just come up with a number. It's like, I want to do 10 drafts this year. I want to do 20 drafts. Keep it a nice, like even number, right? 50 or hundred or whatever. Like keep it those kind of numbers and just don't pay attention to the other people in your draft rooms. Uh, try to learn from them. Try to learn from Twitter. You're not going to get every draft perfect. That's kind of the way it goes. Uh, Yeah, like you said, be a little different. If you're only doing a few, maybe you you don't stack, or maybe you stack quarterback with running back, or you you just look for different ways that not everyone else is doing the same thing. Or maybe you you like some players, so you take them around above ADP, um, but then also you get some value in there with some other players that drop a round or two. So yeah, I I think there's so many ways to play. I think you just want to, if you're just starting out, just have fun. Like you're not going to learn and with, without just trying. So you just, you just kind of have to jump in, kind of embrace it, have fun with it. And that's what I did my first few years. And that's, you just kind of grow as you go. It's hard. It's hard to win money in any fantasy league. It's hard to win DFS. It's hard to win in basketball. It's not, it's not all roses out there. You have to you have to put in the effort, um, mm-hmm. and you have to at least get your feet wet a little bit.
0: Yeah, don't overinvest. Don't put 10 entries into the big board <laughs> and say, I'm playing this because I'm going to win $50,000. Almost all of us mm-hmm. are not going to win that. So if that's the goal, then, then you have to set it a little bit lower. But there, I, I like that there are so many different ways to enter and, and try to get used to it before you chase something like that and you know mm-hmm. it, there's nothing wrong with just playing at a fun level too as long as you um don't over invest similar to sports betting now that more of us are getting the chance to do that just make sure that you don't get yourself into financial trouble trying to chase big prizes
1: yeah i definitely think the five dollar entries um DraftKings sometimes has three dollars um and then ten dollars like I would chase those kind of tournaments. Those are the ones I'd play. You don't need to play the $25 tournament. Like I know the million dollars is catchy. It's just a marketing thing, right? They, they, you want to win the million dollars, but it, it's a tough tournament. So I don't, if I have $200, I don't think I'm putting eight entries into that. Like I'm $200. I'd rather, you know, do 40 entries in a $5 contest and learn how to play. And, and then adjust. Um, so it's funny you said that. Cause i I'm, I'm pretty open. I share like a lot of my wins, and I also share a lot of my losses. I'm wearing the draft shirt, but I don't know if you remember a few years ago, they had like their bigger contest. I think it was $125. I can't remember the name of it. It was their biggest contest. I thought I was smart. I thought I was playing basketball for a few years. I thought I could do well. I did this whole like basically took my wife out for dinner, did this whole presentation, like, hey, this is guaranteed there's going to be overlay in this. I'm going to kill it. Can we take out this loan for it? And like this, like I share this because I'm pretty open and stuff, but that was one of my biggest mistakes I've ever made. So I took like this 401k loan out for a few thousand bucks to try to like, oh, this is guaranteed I'm getting this money back. So I ended up losing like five grand off of that. Um, but the lessons I learned from that uh, over the last few years have been that's why you see me playing the puppy. That's why you see me maxing the puppy, because I've learned volume and the smaller dollar like that's that's my wheelhouse. That's where I'm going to do well at. That's not you know, that's I'm not going to make those same mistakes. So when you talk about the big dog last year yeah, maybe I should have played that, but I played zero entries in that. So it was a hard lesson. And maybe I'll get back to the point where I can, I'm not taking out loans (laughs) to enter a big dollar tournament. So that's for anyone starting out. I don't usually share that, that information, but I don't know why I shared that today. So that's (laughs) what you get.
0: I think it means you're in a comfortable spot, but I mean, it's it's good because hmm. it's, there are other lessons like that out there. And I think, you know, all of us probably jump into these money tournaments because we've had some kind of fantasy success. And we're like, I'm pretty good at this. I can probably win some money at this. And you got to know that everybody entering these things thinks that, and there are lots of different bankroll situations. Mm. And yeah, would I love to take down the $125 entry tournament on FFPC? Sure. But I'm just not in a spot where I can put a hundred teams into that. So Just from a probability standpoint, I'm almost definitely not (laughs) going to win that one. But if I can instead take $125 and put 25 entries into a tournament on underdog, then I got better chances of doing something there.
1: Yeah, that's, that's took, that took it as a hard lesson I learned. So I just wanted to share that don't learn that lesson anybody out there. It's not <laughs> worth it.
0: <laughs> it also means that though, on the positive side, we're at the age where we've gone through those money losing lessons, and we can still smile about it and talk about it instead of ask for donations.
1: Ah oh, no, my wife still gives me shit about that. So <laughs> it's constantly like four years
0: later. Remember when you did this? <laughs> <It's> like,
1: yeah, <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, but now you can be like, yeah, but honey, didn't you enjoy Disneyland?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all it's all worked out. It's it's just a process. <laughs>
0: there you go. Isn't everything? <laughs> he is a best ball and DFS strategy leader. He is at James Brimacombe on Twitter, and he's given out more free info on there than he really should be. So you should go follow him. Take advantage of that, James. Thanks again for coming to join me on here today.
1: Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. That'll do it for this Best Ball Friday episode. Find all the shows and the rest of our podcasts on Apple, on Spotify, on YouTube, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Head to DraftSharks.com now. You can find our initial 2022 projections to help guide your best ball drafting. Just take Chris Carson a little bit ahead of where Jared and Kevin want you to. We also... This week kicked off our free Dynasty prospect Scouting Report series. You can already find our first five profiles in there with more to come basically every day leading up to the NFL draft. And even if you're not a Dynasty player, you can read about the rookies because some of these guys are going to be playing significant roles in 2022 uh, fantasy football leagues. So for my guest, James Brimacombe and the entire Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schauss saying thanks so much for some of